0: church charlotte nathan, thank you so very much pastor nathan and welcome everybody who's joining us from wherever you are probably the, the living room or the dining room table we know also that there's some of you who are joining us from from other congregations so we say welcome to you as well amen wow can can you believe that we're almost at the end of 2022? Goodness gracious, what a year oh, yeah. we've had! As a matter of fact, what what a, what a, the last three years even? So, and I'm praying that we are at the end of COVID and flu and RSV and whatever else that's been thrown at us. I pray that it will not overwhelm us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you. So happy and merry Christmas, everyone. We. this is the last probably Bible study before Christmas on Sunday. So I want to wish you a a Merry Christmas and that you and your family will enjoy a restful and fun Christmas break. Um, I want you to be praying for me that I will continue to get over whatever this is in my throat. And the Lord will touch me and I'll be whole. I'll be made whole uh, shortly. Um, So before I start, um, I'm going to ask that we just Read a word of prayer. If you would just pray quickly with me and ask the Lord to be with us tonight. So, Father, we thank you again for being in our midst. We are indebted to you. We thank you for your love and for your faithfulness and for your grace and for your mercy. How beautiful it is that you repeatedly, you continually join with us and share of your spirit and your anointing with us so that we can be better by it. We ask for your anointing tonight. We ask that you share with us from your table, so that we can hear from heaven your dwelling place. Let there be a blessing in the midst of your people, Israel, let there be a blessing among our leaders, Pastor Nate, Sister Charla, and all the other leaders, Pastor Melix, and all of our leaders that are joining us, Pastor Ed, let there be a blessing among the leaders of First Church so that we can continually be blessed by your strength and by your leadership. Thank you again, Lord, and we bless you tonight. With this word, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know what? It's been on my mind for the last uh, couple of days, and I just want to say this before I forget. Um, I do not want anyone in our church family to be alone or lonely at Christmas time, unless that's exactly what makes you happy. So, I want you to figure out a way to go and visit with someone after church on Sunday. Um, Just don't jump in your car and take off. Um, Maybe you should linger around a bit and find someone to go have coffee with, or maybe someone to have lunch with. So that's my encouragement um, to everyone. All right. Um, My topic for tonight is intended to remind you of some of the spiritual tools the Lord has given to us to do battle with in tough times. So in times of spiritual warfare, tough times, We have been given the word of God uh, to do battle. And so um, I want to encourage you with some of what the word has to say about that tonight. Um, The first scripture I want to take you to is found in 1 Timothy 6 and 12, where it simply says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And the next verse, probably the most uh, popular verse of scripture having to do with spiritual warfare is Ephesians 6. I'm reading verses 11 through 18 in the, uh, the Amplified version. It says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Amen. So far, that's the scripture. Um, I find that once you make up your mind to be a Jesus follower, you will quickly realize that you're engaged in a war for your soul. And we have been drafted into this war where you have to choose a side. There's really no neutral ground. And whether you feel like fighting or not as a soldier in the army of the Lord, you will need To prepare yourself for battle and so the 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 scripture gives us some of which i just read an understanding of what we're about to engage in this war these battles that we will fight and also the scripture outlines our battle plans direction that we ought to take in order to be successful against the schemes the bible calls it the wiles of the devil all right. This battle is, is fought on many fronts, at least three main fronts that I know of. And so I want to share these with you. First of all, there is the inward battle. And by the way, I shared some of this with my small group and got some really good feedback. And so I feel comfortable sharing this with you tonight. This, this inward battle that we often fight against, our flesh, our own desires against the worldliness that we are faced with and our old carnal nature. Paul writes to the church in Rome in chapter 7 and 23 saying it like this, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And again, the apostle Paul clarifies the struggle that we have in this way in verse 18, he says, uh, I'm reading from the Berean Standard Bible in this, in this piece. It says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do that which is good, but for some reason I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. Instead, I keep on doing the evil that I do not want to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer who. I who do it, but that sinful nature that lives within me that's pushing me to do it. I don't know about you, but that seems like a reoccurring theme with me and and lots of folks that I know. I, I want to do well. I want to do well, but no sooner than I I make up my mind to do well, here comes this challenge to my faith. This this thing seemingly out of nowhere and it stands right in front of me like a monument and then i have to deal with it so we battle so we struggle so we war against our inward man, our flesh the carnal nature that we we carry around with us that's a constant battle the second area where we are constantly doing spiritual battle is more on the outward side. This is against uh, the many negative voices, whether it's in the media, among your friends and family even, the opposing forces that are hindering the efforts of the people in places of God. These things that are in contradiction to our walk with God. So just like Now, our church motto say, love God, love people, and we love people. We endeavor to love people. However, we don't always love what people tend to do to us, right? There are those that perhaps we, we used to hang out with, places we used to go to, things we used to do that is just right over there at the door, threatening to come back into our lives and disrupt our relationship with God. These are the outward forces. Paul writes to the church at Corinth in chapter four of second Corinthians. And he says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but not destroyed. In other words, in every direction you turn, you will encounter challenges to your faith. The naysayers and unbelievers that want to get you to believe a lie. The Bible says from those turn away. And so we have to be constantly on alert, guarding our souls, guarding our walk guarding our words even guarding our minds guarding our eyes so that we can remain spiritual like the saints used to say we we can remain prayed up so that we can remain in the fight for the salvation of our souls and and not just ours even but also those for who also we are doing battle many many of us are doing battle for others in our friend group in our family, and even members of the church that we're doing battle for. Now, the third area where we do spiritual battle, this is probably the most subtle, most insidious, clearly more intangible and invisible battle. It is against unseen forces. What the Bible describes as powers of darkness. We read in Ephesians chapter number six and verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. What I hear Paul saying here is that we must expect to face spiritual attacks on all these fronts against our inward person, The Bible says when we want to do good, evil presents itself (laughs) against the outward world and the challenges to our spirit. And then, of course, our spiritual man. We must be prepared to overcome these attacks. And the Bible gives us the tools to do that. And we read them at the beginning in Ephesians 6. These are the military orders we were given. And the Apostle Paul compares this spiritual warfare to the armament of the Roman soldier. He writes again, reading from a different translation so that you can hear with different ears, as Pastor Nate says, put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavily armed soldier, which God supplies That you may be able to be successful, to stand up against all the strategies and the deceits of the devil. For we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. We're not contending only with physical opponents, but against despotism, against the powers, against the master spirits who are the rulers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly supernatural sphere. He goes on to say, therefore put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger. And having done all, the crisis demands that you stand firmly in place. Stand therefore, hold your ground, having tightened your belt of truth around your loins, having put on the breastplate of integrity and of moral rectitude and right standing with God and having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with a firm-footed stability, with the promptness and readiness produced by the good news that is the gospel of peace. And then lift over your head all the covering using the shield of faith that is saving faith upon which you can quench all the flaming missiles of the wicked one and take then the helmet of salvation and the sword the spirit yields which is the word of god pray at all times on every occasion in every season in the spirit with all manner of prayer and entreaty to that end keep alert and watch with strong purpose and persever- perseverance, interceding on behalf of all saints, God's consecrated people." So we are, we are encouraged, in fact, we are commissioned to do this battle with the weapon that God provides, with the weapon that the Spirit provides, not with, not with worldly weapons, not with physical weapons, but with spiritual weapons. Spiritual weapons. That's the only way that we're going to be successful. We want to put on the whole armor of God. Now, the belt of truth to gird our loins, the breastplate of righteousness to cover both our our core, our vital organs in both the front here, heart and lungs, and in the back. Our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts, the helmet of salvation that protects the mind, the head. Amen. And then finally, we are given one offensive weapon, the word of God, the sword of the spirit. The first order in our commission is to put on the whole armor of God. The apostle Paul states that the armor of God consists of set of six separate pieces. And it is not sufficient to just put on one or two pieces of the armor. It says several times, put on the whole armor of God. If we only put on several pieces, we're going to be unguarded and vulnerable in other areas of our lives. So we want to be completely covered with the, the full armor, the whole armor. Of God, also referred to as God's righteousness in Second Corinthians six and verse four through seven. Spiritual warfare requires spiritual weapons. It cannot be accomplished with physical weapons. Second Corinthians ten tells us this in verse three: For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And Ephesians chapter six gives us uh, the, the, the major purposes for utilizing the whole armor. One to prevail over Satan's schemes and strategies. We're also told in first Peter five to be sober, be vigilant because the, the adversary, your adversary, the devil is as a roaring lion walking about. Seeking whom we may devour, so we need to be vigilant. We need to be sober. We need to pay attention. In other words, pay attention to these things, uh, lest Satan should get advantage of us. In Second Corinthians two and eleven, it says, "Be not ignorant of his devices." Remember, in Luke twenty-two, the Bible tells us that that Satan desired to have the apostle Peter. So he schemes and, 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 and plans to trap and deceive every child of God. So we must be on guard and have our defenses up. We must have, again, not just part of the armor, but the whole armor of God so that we can be victorious over Satan's many assaults and onslaughts. In Ephesians 6 and 13, it says we need to be ready to withstand these attacks in what it calls the evil days. The evil days. And the Bible speaks of several several different types of evil days that we will be facing. Psalms 86 and 7, the day of trouble. Job 38, 23, a day of battle. Psalm 18, a day of calamity. Hebrews 3 and 8, the day of temptation is referred to as an evil day. Proverbs 6 and 34, a day of vengeance. Ecclesiastes 7 and 14, a day of adversity. Isaiah 17 and 11, a day of grief and sorrow. And so it goes. A day of affliction in Jeremiah 16. In fact, Psalm 34, 19 tells us many, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But what? The Lord delivers us out of them all. And so, regardless of which evil day we face, if we are properly equipped with the whole armor of God, we can success- successfully withstand and resist all the attacks of the enemy. Next, to quench all the fiery darts of Satan, um, Peter, Peter tells us in chapter 4 of his first book that, uh, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which comes to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. These fiery darts are, are these combustible, uh, burning arrowheads, if you will, that sets to fire anything it is stuck to—fortifications and strongholds. Think of these as Satan's attempt to ignite or reignite your your carnal lusts and desires and passions and emotions. Maybe evil thoughts, evil desires, your intense pet temptations notice i say pet temptations the the temptations that you continue to run back to you you thought maybe that you were over it and something else happens and triggers that temptations and there you go again running back to it the enemy is trying to reignite and to set ablaze those desires that you have in fact overcome before these are the fiery darts and burning trials that we are warned about in First Peter chapter four, verse 12 and 13. Bible tells us that uh, these burning trials and difficult situations are, are intended to make us fall. They' are intended to make us stumble, to make us question our walk with God, to make our confidence shake. And if we are going to prevail over over Satan's schemes, we we must quench his fiery darts and survive those evil days. And so we must be protected by the the whole armor of God. I want you to get that. It's the the whole armor of God that we are encouraged to put on. And so we are given five defensive weapons and one offensive weapon. So let's go through those, right? The first one was the helmet of salvation, right? It protects the brain, the command center, if you will, of the warrior, the place where decisions are made. And if this area is left unprotected, well, the battle is lost before it begins. This is your brain where you, where you decide this way or that way. Should I, should I attack this way or should I attack that way? Should I defend this way or that way? The soldier's helmet was designed to protect and secure his thinking, his mind. So, so if you protect the place where decisions are made in your life, if this area for some reason is unprotected, You're in trouble. So we are encouraged right off the bat. Take the helmet of salvation. First Thessalonians 5 and 8 tells us, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on for an helmet the hope or the confidence of salvation. Uh, The helmet protects our thinking process. It allows us to think straight. It protects what we know remember, the biblical meaning of hope is better understood as confidence. Confidence. When we are confident in our hope of salvation, our priorities, our attitudes, and thinking are anchored and secured. It is secure that we know that God's got us. Our anchor is holding in Jesus. If it is for this reason, <laughs> excuse me. It is for this reason Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and 12 and says, For I know in whom I believed. That's his confidence he's expressing. I know in whom I believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. In other words, Paul is saying, Timothy, you've got to be confident in Jesus. You've got to know in whom you have believed. In Hebrews 6 and 19, he says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. So our, our confidence in our salvation through Jesus Christ must be steadfast. It must be sure. It must be unshakable. And that serves as an anchor to our soul. Next is the, the, the belt of truth, which we gird ourselves with. Verse 14 of Ephesians 6 says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. So what is it about this belt of truth? Well, if you remember, the Roman soldier, in those days, no one had pants or slacks or shorts or whatever. Everyone wore these gowns, right? Consider it like a a long flowing garment that covers the, the entire body. Well, these flowing garments would hinder the soldier's movement in battle. And so the belt is to secure the garment so it doesn't hinder the movement of the soldier. But also, it would hold the soldier's weapons close to the body so that he can have access to them. It also serves to give support and protection to the middle of the torso during the fatigue of war so this belt is symbolic of truth and there are there are two types of truth to consider here first first is doctrinal truth this protects us from false doctrines and ideologies of men and of devils actually and then personal truth your inner honesty and integrity which protects you from corruption so, with regards to doctrinal truth, the wise man uh, Solomon says in Proverbs 23, 23, buy the truth and sell it not. Doctrinal truth is sacred. And this is why we hold our doctrine so sacred to us. Now, there is probably a, a solid third of our church that are so so focused on the doctrine that they repeat it to themselves and everyone they see, right? We know that repentance is important, right? We know that Jesus' name, baptism, is important. And then, of course, receiving the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues is very important to our walk with God. Those are elements of our doctrine that we we hold dear to us, right? (laughs) 1 Timothy 4 and 16, Paul writes again, he says to Timothy, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you shall save both yourself and those that hear you. The doctrine of truth. The doctrine of truth. And then, of course, our personal truth is also important. Your honesty, your integrity. Right? Your inner sincerity, that protects you from corruption. From corruption. The Bible says that when David got in trouble and committed his sin with Bathsheba, and he was confronted by the prophet, and said, thou art the man. You're the one that's doing evil. The Bible says David went and repented. And he writes, behold thou, O God, you desire truth. In the inward parts. And he was talking to himself in that prayer. You desire truth in the inward parts. So our personal truth matters. Right? And then of course John 4.24. We write. We read rather that God is a spirit. And they that worship him must. Worship him in spirit. And in truth. We're talking about. What we reach for during spiritual warfare when we're in battle for our souls and in the fatigue and weariness of battle sometimes your truth is all you have to hold on to maybe you are engaged in a conversation and it wearies you out and the only thing that you can reach for is that which you know to be true either something that god has revealed to you personally, something that you have read in the word that resonates in your heart and you you grasp all, hold of it with both hands and say, this is my truth. These are the things that are going to carry you through in your walk with God. Whenever you run into a difficult battle, if you can hold on to your truth, whether it is doctrinal truth or your personal honesty with God. If you lose these, we lose our support and will eventually lose the battle. The next defensive weapon is the breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians 6 and 14 gives us that. Stand therefore, having on the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, This piece of defensive armor, the breastplate, protects again. The vital organs that are in the torso right and for the roman uh soldier this piece of armor came in two pieces one to protect the front covers the chest and the stomach and one that protects the back right where of course your lungs and of course portions of your your kidney are protected In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8, it says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate, uh, watch this, of faith and love. The breastplate of faith and love. And so here we are introduced to the breastplate being referred to as faith and love. Faith and love, by the way, incorporates all of the virtues of righteousness Faith and love. And so by faith, by faith, we are bound to Jesus Christ, right? For they that cometh to God, the Bible tells us, must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Right? This is our faith in Christ. The Bible tells us without faith, it is in, impossible to please God. So we come to God by faith. We come to Jesus Christ by faith, believing without seeing even, right? But also by love, this is the second component of righteousness. We are bound to each other, the brotherhood and the sisterhood of believers. When we wear the breastplate of righteousness, we are faithful in our relationship with God. This is faith and faithful in our correct behavior towards our brothers and sisters, that is love. This is the true shining example of righteousness. The breastplate was a shining, glistening, defensive weapon. It is usually made of brass or bronze, sometimes gold or other reflective material. It was always highly polished to reflect the light and perhaps even dazzle or blind temporarily or confuse the enemy. In Romans 13, we read that the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the work of darkness and put on the armor of light. The armor of light. This is a, a veiled reference to this armor, this breastplate that shines, right? The Greek word for light is phos, phos, P-H-O-S, for, from which we get to shine, to raise, luminous, fire, light, and of course, phosphorus, right? Second Thessalonians 2 and 8, it says, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall destroy with, watch this, the brightness of his coming. So the brightness of the glory of Jesus Christ, which is reflected through us, shall ultimately destroy all the enemies of God. The more his righteousness shines through you and me, the more our enemies are defeated. Next, we we read of the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is referring to what was called the greaves or brass boots that you take into war. If you look at a Roman soldier, he has these boots that comes all the way and protect not only the feet, but also the shins, the calves, all the way up to the knees. The soldier's boots were used to provide protection For the feet and shield the front of the legs from sharp sticks that were often hidden along the pathway to injure injure the legs and feet of the enemy warriors that are coming to battle. Now, of course, you can think of these as primitive versions of landmines, right? Uh, Without the boots, a soldier was extremely vulnerable. The boots are called the preparation of the gospel. (laughs) which means being equipped, being primed, ready to obey and proclaim the gospel of making peace with God. We read in Psalm 119, 101, I have refrained my feet from every evil way. Why? That I might keep thy word, David writes. And then, of course, we read in verse 133, order my steps in thy word. Order my steps in thy word. In Scripture, a person's walk with God is an allegory for his way of life, right? Our feet and our steps should be should be well schooled in the gospel. And the gospel must be our way of life, how we live. We take it with us to work. It shines in our home. It interacts with our friends and family. They know us to be carriers, if you will of the gospel when we are prepared and skilled in the gospel we are protected from satan's traps that try to cripple us or cause us to stumble when we are protected with the preparation from of the gospel of peace our feet can carry us to spread the word of god and in romans 10 and 15 we we read this beautiful passage which says how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Next, we see the shield of faith in verse 16. And it says it this way, above all, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The soldier's shield usually held, you know, in this manner where it is movable, or a cover that protects the soldier from the opponent's weapons, regardless of which direction they come, right? You can move the shield around, but it is a shield of faith. Watch that. It is the most important defensive weapon, which is why verse 16 says, above all, above all, taking the shield of faith. And it's been appropriately said that in the hour of attack, the time of temptation, faith is all in all. Faith is the only shield that can extinguish and smother the flaming arrows of the enemy. And this includes our passions, our lusts, our emotions, even our fears. Faith is mobile and adaptable. It is versatile to any attack. With the shield of faith, we can turn in any direction necessary to ward off the attack from any quarter. Now, <clears throat> for those of you who who read, uh, who have read Hebrews 11, you know that is referred to as the faith chapter of the Bible.
1: <coughs>
0: Excuse me. The faith chapter. And we understand that So many things came to the patriarchs simply by faith, by believing, uh, usually without seeing. Because if it's seen, it's really not faith, it's by sight. And so faith is believing without seeing. We understand that creation was done through faith. We understand that Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice by faith we understand that Enoch was translated by faith. In fact, the Bible says Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him. How many of you would like that, right? God took him because his faith so impressed the Lord. The Lord said, come on, man, I need you where I am. The Bible says that Abraham went out into his inheritance by faith. Sarah received strength to conceive child, by faith. Abraham offered up Isaac by faith. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau by faith. Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph by faith. Moses was head of his parents from Pharaoh's Pharaoh's army by faith. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter by faith. The Bible tells us that Moses kept the Passover and the Israelites passed through the Red Sea by faith. The walls of Jericho fell by faith. The harlot Rahab perished not by faith. The patriarchs subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire escaped the edge of the sword by faith. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight by faith, turned to flight the armies of aliens and even received their dead raised to life again by faith. And so faith conquers the world, regardless of the attacks we encounter Faith is sufficient to bring us victory over each and every one. In fact, First John 5 and 4 says, Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And so finally, we have one offensive weapon. So we had five defensive weapons, which I just went through. And the only offensive weapon we have the sword of the spirit which is the word of god ephesians 6 and 17 and take the sword of the spirit which is the word of god this this powerful offensive weapon is used to strike the enemy with an overwhelming blow this is this is not an ordinary sword it's not a carnal sword the word of god is your spiritual sword it has unlimited power Read Hebrews 4 and 12. It says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's how powerful the word of God is. And this is why the Bible says, you know, I hide it in my heart. David said, by word, have I hid it in my heart? that I will not sin against you. Jesus Christ himself wielded the sword of the word and defeated Satan's onslaught of the temptation when he says to him in Matthew 4 and Matthew 6 and Matthew 7 and Matthew 10, he says, it is written, it is written. He used the word to defeat the enemy. So the word of God hidden in our hearts will will impale and slaughter the lusts, pride, malice, envy, and other corruptions that might be hidden in our heart. And so we are given the word of God and we are encouraged to hide it in our heart so that we can reach for this weapon whenever we need it. And the last thing that's mentioned in Ephesians 6 verse 18 and I'll end with this it says praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit this is a this is a military discipline that we are being encouraged to do after the scripture catalogues our spiritual armor it calls for us to engage in prayer prayer is the discipline the, the exercise the regiment the practice if you will the perpetual habit of the soldier just like a soldier will practice and train we must do the same with prayer a person who prays a lot you can tell when you ask them to pray they don't have to warm up they can jump right into it without a prayer a soldier is weak and feeble unable to manipulate the armor effectively it is through prayer that we build up our strength Jude 1 20 tells us, quote, but you, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. And my last point, the Bible tells us the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Fervent, fervent prayer is the means by which we activate the power to properly use the armor that we've been given. We we pray in the Holy Spirit. We pray using the name of Jesus. We pray claiming victory in Jesus' name. Prayer is that tool that enables us to gain immediate access into the throne room of God. The Bible says we no longer need Uh, An intermediary, because the the middle wall of partition has been removed so we can go boldly to the throne of grace in prayer. And he says, ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. In other words, ask whatever you want. Ask whatever you want. You're sick in, in body? Pray. You're having difficulty on the job? Pray. Trouble in your family? Pray. Other kinds of problems? pray we have this access to god that can bring about unbelievable power unbelievable victory in our lives if we would just use it and so i encourage you all to pray whenever you get a chance whenever you get a chance um my wife is a prayer warrior uh many of you (laughs) may have heard her pray, and, and her prayer fills the house. Oh, how beautiful, how beautiful it is to hear her call my name or call our children's name or call Pastor Nathan's name in prayer. It does it does something to me. It does something to you. If you hear her call your name in prayer, it is the sweetest. It is some of the sweetest words I have, I have heard when I come into a room or I may hear her from the other room praying, asking God to intervene in our behalf. I encourage you, my brethren, to take on the whole armor of God and pray. Amen. That's all I got. Well, Well, that was wonderful,
1: my brother. That was just wonderful. Uh, And everything, uh, there's so much to be said about every single element of that. So thank you so much for opening your heart and sharing, uh, sharing that with all of us. Uh, I do want to just say real quickly, um, when you consider the broad scope of uh, the whole armor of God and the elements of spiritual warfare, it can seem a little bit overwhelming. And so let me just real quickly simplify um, for you, in this season of your life, the enemy will usually attack you in one or two ways, and as the seasons of your life change, uh, there'll be Uh, other attacks so if you're if you're feeling overwhelmed like you don't know where to start uh, remember this that in this season of your life the, the enemy will have one or two favorite attacks against you and you just need to start with putting your faith between you and whatever attack is coming that's the mobility of the shield of faith you put it between you and whatever is attacking you your faith is your shield between Amen. you and whatever is attacking you and then speak the word of god right back in the direction of the attack and that that is a uh, almost as a like a the Cliff Notes version of <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, the deep, profound teaching of the Apostle Paul—that really comprehensive in its its scope and its reach and its expanse. And so uh, let's let's pray together right now. Lord Jesus, I pray for every one of our brothers and sisters, whether they are in this room right now or whether they are not. I pray, first of all, that you would be with us, O oh God. Uh, there are a lot of battles that are fought over the holidays. Yes, There are a lot of difficulties that are faced by people uh, in this season. Um, This is a season where emotions are brought through song and celebration to the surface. And the truth is, a lot of times when that happens, we are made aware of that which we have not yet healed from. And so in this season, uh, when we live our lives and these emotions come to the top of our lives, um, help us to be more than just a victim of those emotions. And let us have the wisdom to see what we have not yet offered to you on an altar of surrender, what we yet need healing for and from, and yet what we yet need faith to journey through because our losses, our struggles, our setbacks, uh, all of that is part of our story. We journey through that with the testimony of your promise. And I pray right now for every one of our brothers and sisters, whatever they are facing, God, let them feel your nearness. Let us be so caught up and our eyes focused down in the here and now that we can't see the promises of God beyond the horizon of our vision timeless, eternal, embracing us, strengthening us, being a foundation beneath our feet. Lord, I pray for everyone who has lost loved ones in this season. Let them feel your presence. I pray for everyone who's facing sickness in this season. Let them feel your presence, oh God. I pray for everyone who is living with a sense of isolation, whether uh, family, uh, friends, or church. God, I pray that you would help them open their heart yes, to the Lord. church and I pray you would make the church sensitive to them. We all of us have comfort zones and sometimes a new person is not already placed in our comfort zone and because of that we we have to make an effort to include them not because we don't want to but just because uh, we haven't gotten to a comfort zone with a relationship or a new friendship god as believers as strong believers this room is full of strong believers god i pray you would give us a tenderness to get outside of our comfort zone to embrace others to love others to encourage others to bless others in jesus name i pray and i thank you for it today with all that is within Thank you for listening to First
0: Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you'll help others find our free podcast